This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Talking about chicken a la king, mango and garbanzo tabbouleh, real potatoes and vegetables with roasted garlic and basil, zucchini ziti, granola fruit bar. Look at all this beautiful food. Guys, welcome to Green Eggs and Dan, where I interview amazing people with amazing minds, but all I care about is what is in their fridge. My guest today has become one of my favorite people and favorite chefs. He owns and runs the Filipino Taqueria Flip Siggy in New York and Jersey City, a super popular restaurant with delicious fusion creations. He also has a very prominent TV presence. In addition to hosting Late Night Eats and Food Boats on the Cooking Channel, he is a recurring judge on Food Network Canada's Junior Chef Showdown, where he makes kids cry because they didn't use enough acid and has appeared on chop rachel ray the today show beat bobby flay worst cooks in america cooks versus cons and recipe for deception but ladies and gentlemen the reason i love this man so much is because he is going to be a judge on my new food network show rate the fridge let's go let's go premiering september 1st 10 p.m 9 p.m central and he is amazing in it please welcome chef and heartthrob jordan and dino what an intro that is yeah dude Wow, I want you to be my hype man for anytime I enter any room. I just want that. Then I want the air horns after. <laughs> you deserve it, my friend. You deserve it. You deserve all the accolades and all the intros because you're amazing. I, You know, you don't really meet someone late in life where you're like, that guy, I feel like he and I are going to be friends for a long time. And I feel that with you. When I, And it's also this weird competitive thing when you meet someone on a TV show. You're like, how's our chemistry going to work? I hope we get along well and this and that. I think we got along swimmingly, unless you were talking shit about me when we weren't shooting. Not at all. I mean, there's a reason why we, like, I'll hit you every time I'm coming to LA. There's a reason why you came to my dinner after, you know, after we're done filming. It was just, it was you and I, we, we speak that same kind of fun shit talking, but like all in love and, and good heart, like kind of humor. So I'm all about it, man. I'm glad, I'm glad to have met you. Pleasure is all mine. Absolutely. Thank you. As am I. And uh, we will talk about our budding friendship, our TV friendship, and Filipino food, which is uh, admittedly a blind spot for me, and I want you to teach us all about it. But before we do that, we are going to see what is in your fridges. You sent me a couple fridge picks. This yeah. is very cool because we get a home fridge pick, and then we get a restaurant fridge pick, the... Uh, the uh, walk-in. Yep. Uh, let's start with your home fridge. You guys can see Jordan's fridge on my Instagram at standupdan. Okay, very prominent here. You've got like a a little uh, museum of champagne over here. It looks like in the door. Okay, so no, let me explain that. So I should have taken the the closed fridge. So that's a quick a quick fridge drawer. So. I, you actually, when it's closed, you can access a small little one. It doesn't open the whole fridge, but anything you want to chill quickly or any drinks that you like to have super cold, that's where you put it. And then you can access it from the out from the outside without op opening up and losing all that energy. Oh, yeah. fancy. It's legit. That's like quick, easy access for your champagne. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the champagne's there, but there's also... There's like sometimes like you know, vitamin water or my water bottles or juice or whatever. By the way, this is a very, very well-stocked fridge, especially for a chef, because most most chefs, when they come on the show, have these disgusting, awful fridges at home. But I, I guess you do live with someone. So you've got to you got to keep your shit together. Yeah. So I got so I got the wife that, you know, that that is also cooking. Um, but also I do a lot of cooking from home because of, you know, like the of COVID and whatnot. So now a lot of things move digital. So I have stuff in there for my fork knife uh, cooking classes, which I, I host every month. And then I do stuff for Food Network, of course, and then Amazon and then like various other things. So anytime I, I need to cook for something digital, I have to stock it myself. So in there, you're going to find pretty much anything and everything to make most cuisines, honestly. Yeah, dude, this is a wildly <laughs> stocked fridge. Yeah. I mean, 
your crisper is like full to the brim with peppers and onions and garlic and fennel, celery, garlic, onions, lemons, limes, uh, lettuces, let I lettuce let I let I let I and uh, yeah, and then you got the dairy one right above that. Yeah, it, and then there's like pancit, which is a fun little Filipino stir fried noodle, which is the red lid middle shelf middle next to the bread. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, what? So that's that's the name of the noodle is pancit. So pancit is the name of the dish. The noodle is either a vermicelli or a thin r- clear glass rice noodle. And you typically just use like chicken stock, soy sauce, garlic, onion, cabbage, shrimp, and then this thing called lapsheng or uh, Chinese sausage, which actually I think we used on the show. Yes, we did. I remember that. I think you uh, made fun of me for not knowing what it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now I know. What is this uh, drink over here on the top, bro? That is a, a dry rosé cider in a bottle. Oh, yeah. interesting. Because it's summer and I'm, and I'm fancy. Yeah. Are you, uh, you doing a little daytime drinking? That seems like a good daytime drinking drink. Yeah. I, I'm doing it just drinking all the time because yeah. uh, imbibing for me is a lifestyle. It's not a problem. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Famous last words. Should I ding you for this? You've got like a tuna can that seems half open or is that dog food? Dog food. Oh, okay. Yeah. Dog food. Open dog food. I mean, I, you know, you're a famous chef, dude. And you've got open dog food in your fridge. Come on. Uh, it's, it's true. It's true. They, uh, you know, um, even we chefs slip up every now and then. But but it's like the thing is with his dog food, it's really fresh. So that's why like I just keep it. There. And he eats it, you know, every six hours. So that's not like, you know, it's not that long. Yeah, that's not that awful. Back to the door here. I do love that you have, you know, you have a very fancy fridge. You have a lot of very, very fancy stuff. But I do like that the the ketchup, you keep it real with the Heinz. I always say I think ketchup is one of those things where the like, you know, factory Heinz version is better than the organic, you know, version. Um, my, my wife and I, if you if we talk about Sir Kensington, you'll immediately be kicked out of our circle. Um, so, what? Yeah. Sir Kensington. Wait, I love Sir Kensington. No, we don't fuck with Sir Kensington. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's Heinz or no ketchup. It's either no ketchup or Heinz. Like there's no other option there. Wait, but Sir Kensington's mayo is really good. Um, Sir Kensington, I think I personally believe makes good products. Don't, don't, don't touch me when it comes to ketchup. Heinz is the only brand. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And, and Hunts, be- ew, get, get that Hunt's nastiness away from me. <laughs> yes. <Heinz>. Agreed. <laughs> Although you do have helmets. You got the helmets. That's. That's some that's some basic. You're now you're going basic childhood shit right there. I'm, I'm a big Hellman's fan. I and specifically Hellman's on the um, instead of oil or butter for a grilled cheese. That's how I live my life. Hellman's instead of oil or butter and a grilled cheese. Interesting. You've never done that? No, I haven't, dude. I'm like, wait, I, I'm dead like, serious. But do you put it on while it's grilling, or you put it on at the end and finish it with it? Okay, ready. So here's here's your 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 buns. Yeah. Cheese, cheese. Okay. The outside. Yeah. Hit it with Hellman's on both sides, and then sear. Put a lid on it to steam. Remove the crispiest, best sear you'll ever get for grilled cheese. I'm curious about that. Wow. So does the does the um, does the mayonnaise like disassociate into like. You know, does it break? Or well, no, it's not at all. So, like, if you really like think about it, it's it's a it's already um, emulsified, so it's right. going to bind to any kind of starch that that it touches. The starch being the bread, then and then it's it really is just oil and egg. So think about if you were to put oil and egg to, to crust something. That's all it is. So now you're yeah. going to get even this kind of like like half a millimeter layer of the perfectly even spread of Hellman's, which crisps up and molds with the bread. It's it, it, it'll change your grilled cheeses. That's the secret to a good grilled cheese. Is that wow? Okay, yeah. so you got to put the helmets on the outside. So outside. you assemble the sandwich and then slather helmets on the outside. outside. Whoa, life changing, dude! You're honestly, it's like when we were when we were working on the show. I didn't know how insane, like insanely talented of a chef you were, and just before I even ate any of your food or anything, it was literally just by hearing your notes on other people's dishes and i was like oh my god this guy fucking knows what he's talking about and i mean obviously you were like hired to do that but like i was like so impressed with like your ability to deconstruct dishes and know exactly what was wrong with them and you know and you were always always spot on and we'll get to the show in a minute hold on let's finish the i want to finish the fridges pretty quickly because i we do have a lot to talk about but i want to now go to 
the walk-in fridge at, I'm assuming this is at Flip Siggy? Yes, that is my walk-in fridge at Flip Siggy. Okay, so I've worked in uh, a few uh, restaurant kitchens before, and I will say this is a very, 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 very clean walk-in fridge. Thank you. You see a lot of those nightmare things on like Kitchen Nightmares when he goes into the walk-in fridge and there's like a family of rats like <laughs> living. <laughs> who set, like... set up like an encampment. <laughs> yeah, that's – so I will say and, you know, I, I don't want to like pat my own back here, but like you – when you hit me for the picture, I just told my staff, I was like, go downstairs right now and take a picture of the fridge as is. And, and no way. What, and that's what it is. Yeah. You know, it's funny because after – so I worked at the Spotted Pig, right, which was, you know, yep. a Michelin-starred restaurant. And – Every single, like every single tile on the floor was so impeccably clean and it made it in a way where now whenever I go to a restaurant and I just kind of look behind, if I see anything on the floor, I, I, I'm automatically judging the place because I, mean, I think it's a sign of the, of, you know, of things to come. It, it, it absolutely is. And I think, you know, what you're looking for, you're looking for a clean tile. You're also looking for the grout, right? Because yeah. that means that, that means that you're sweeping it because you can easily sweep it, but how's the grout? If the grout is, you know, lightly black, which is okay. Like that, that happens over buildup. But if there's not any gunk, anything other than really the color of the tile and a gray, white, black, like depending on what kind of tile and grout it is, that's really all you're looking for. So, you know, I, I look for that too. And I, I actually, what I look for is the fans in a fridge. So if you ever see a walk-in, if you look, scroll, if you look up at the top of the, the frame, uh huh. oh yeah, the, those fans, I challenge you to go into a walk-in and look at the fans and you'll, and it, and you know, it, they don't look like that. Really? Oh, so that's why they'll build up with a lot of dirt and gunk and stuff. The gunk and dirt and grease and everything. It's not fun. Interesting. Well, yeah. kudos on your fridges. They're both fantastic. And I'm not very surprised because again, you have your shit together. Like, and, and, and this is, we were at war together for six days shooting, uh, shooting the show. <laughs> yes, that was a lot. And it was, it was really insane. And you and Jamika, Jamika uh, Pessoa, uh, the other judge on the show, but you guys have such a knack for, I mean, I, I don't know, like you had a bottomless, bottomless pit of being able to talk about a dish. <laughs> Like, it was crazy. Like, I would eat it. I'd be like, yeah, this is good. And then you guys would be like, okay. The acid comes in first, followed by the heat. I liked, I mean, it was just like, you guys went off. And I just thought you were so good at describing food. Um, and it was very, I don't know. I, is this something, is this just an innate thing? Is it learned? Or what? It, um, that's a really good question. I, I actually think it's it's innate. It's three. It's three things. You have to have a passion for it. I think it's innate and I also think that you learn from it. So, you know, elaborating on that, when 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 you're talking about like how to say something and how to like tell a viewer or even a listener what they're going through from a taste perspective and you want to do it using your using words. Yeah. You need you need to be able to have the right uh, descriptors and adjectives that 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 people can resonate and relate to. So, when we've worked on that. And I know Jamika has, I have, I've done workshops for it and whatnot, but, and then you also just have to have a passion for it. You have to have eaten enough different types of food all across right. the board, good, bad, expensive, cheap, soft, hard, what, what, what have you, because the only way you're gonna be able to talk about it and really uh, include everyone in the journey of the description of the food is if you've had a lot of food yourself. Absolutely. And I mean, there would be these moments where you would talk about a dish for like five minutes and you were done and then we were moving on and then the producer would be like, actually go back, we need a little more footage. Uh, Jordan, give us like three more positives and three more negatives. And you just like sling them out and it was like crazy to me. <laughs> I was like, I'm so glad I don't have his job. <laughs> so right away when you started talking about the food that we were tasting, I was like, oh, this guy is fucking off, really knows what he's talking about. And then I started seeing the food that you make and I was really fascinated by it because you're doing something or your goal, you've said this before and I, and, I, and you can say it yourself, but is to bring a Michelin star to Filipino cuisine. Yeah, so, you know, I'm, I personally feel that as a culture and country for that matter, Filipinos are typically overlooked and uh, at times denigrated to the kind of lower class of the Asian cuisines. And, you know, it, it's, it's been a very proud achievement of mine to be able to champion the cuisine and be a voice of this internationally and voice and face of Filipino cuisine. And I think that, you know, the thinking about what Michelin represents, it represents 
quality food, worth a travel, outstanding experiences, and also high class, high flavor dining. You know, a lot of people don't associate Filipino cuisine with that. So I think it's, it would be super cool to earn a Michelin star there because then it, it, it shows that Filipino cuisine isn't this second class, lower class type of peasant food. It is something that the rich can eat, the poor can eat, and everyone in between. And so I think getting a star in it would mean more than just the star. It would mean, like, for the country, uh, a level of attainment that people, even maybe even our own country people, wouldn't be able to understand or even dream of. So like, so that's why I want to do it. I mean, I love that. And I think that it's so much more impressive when cultures that aren't known for fine dining get that Michelin star. Like if, if a Japanese restaurant or a French restaurant or an Italian restaurant gets an, a Michelin star, it's like, fine, okay. But when like a Mexican restaurant, like when Pujol gets a Michelin star or something like that, that's like, whoa, that's to me is a lot more interesting. Yeah. And I love that you're trying to do that because... It's true. I do feel like there is like this kind of there. I'm not going to call it racism. It's more of a classism. It's like a classist, Cla- definitely classist. Bra- you know, break of like you know. Oh yes, well a uh, a Filipino restaurant can never have a Michelin star, or like you know, a, sort of like African food can never attain a Michelin. Like there definitely seems like there's this breakdown of like European foods are the ones that get the Euro- the the Michelin stars. And then everyone else has to fucking work their asses off to get it, you know? Like, there isn't a lot of rice served in Michelin star restaurants. Yeah, I mean, I mean, let's be real. It, 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 the, I mean, the Michelin Guide started as a French guide, right? And, you know, and yeah. and and also the brigade system, fr- fine dining cuisine, nouveau cuisine, it all started in France. And then from there, permeated to Spain and permeated to Italy, right? So, like, right. it was, like, the, the big three, and it all was Eurocentric. And so... It, it that is what it was for a while. And I remember even in my own lifetime when Chinese food started getting Michelin stars and people were like, oh, wow, Chinese food is like, that, that's what you get on the corner. That's General Sao, right? But now, but, but now people are like, holy shit. Like if you go to Hong Kong, you go to Shanghai, uh, you get these um, in, insane meals that have so many layers of, of flavor, of technique, just in every element of it, from the sauce to the execution to the plating that, that you can't help but give, but give them stars. If anything, it's better than, than, and it's hard to, for Europeans to admit, but it's even better than that, than that food. So it's like, right. So, you know, it, it's slowly moving outward into all of these other different cultures and, and, and countries. And it's amazing yeah. to see. And, and I think that, you know, also the, the proximity to Europe also helps, or at times doesn't help the a cuisine get recognized by the Michelin stars. So I think now is the time that you, you, the world wants to see, things that aren't Japanese, that aren't Chinese, that aren't European or even American. Like th- that's why you see a lot of South American restaurants, like really capturing the attention of, uh, you know, well, I don't like saying the word foodie, but we'll call them gastrotarians, uh, like uh, around, around <laughs> yeah. the world. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. So let's get into Filipino food because I will admit whenever when I talk about Phil, Philip when I'm, I'm I'm the fucking loser that meets someone who's Filipino and I'm like oh chicken adobo <laughs> <laughs> it's like all I know now but I, I'm always fascinated by cultures that have had a lot of influence you know either through colonization or through people moving through or whatever and I think you know the history of the Philippines has a lot of that right like so. Like I like I love the French influence in Vietnamese food, for example. Like I, I I love it. I love the stories that the food can tell about the culture. So, what is it that is? Give us a place to start. Like where should we start from thinking about Filipino food, and then what influences came in and from where? All right, perfect. It's a great question. So Filipino food is an amalgamation of three different countries. Okay, all different periods of throughout history, but it all kind of developed and came into its own. Where, where it's where we land now. And it it start, starts with a colonization of, so it's like generally 
like kind of islanders, right? And then we get colonized by Spain. So now you have kind of Spanish techniques, flavors, names, um, influences cu- coming in. Then, then you know, Chinese rule and whatnot kind of are, and then you want to talk about kind of in- Indonesian and, you know, Eastern Eastern Asian countries are then kind of the proximity, whether it's people coming in, whether it's wars or whatnot, also influence it. So you have Spain, China, and then once again, wars bringing Americans over. And now, and and you see that things like Coca-Cola, Spam, Nesquik, uh, ketchup, like Heinz ketchup. These are things that like are prevalent in in the Philippines. And you're like, wait, these are all American made like, um, Export. So you're just like, how did these get there? And why is it so popular here? So really it's an amalgamation of three cuisines, Spain, Chinese, and American cuisine all into one. And, but I would say where it really is like separates itself is that because of, because it's a third world country, refrigeration is not a, is not a thing. So, well, I mean, it is now, but you know, let's call it even 10, 20 years ago, 10, 20 years ago, it was much more difficult. So Whole animal fabrication is where Filipinos separate themselves. So instead of just, so everything from serving the, the uh, like, let's take a pig, for example, from the pork belly to the pork shoulder, to the ham hocks, the feet, all of that, that's kind of natural. Everyone has used that in some cuisine or culture throughout the world. But and then we're, now we're talking about the call fat, um, which is the, the, that the stomach fat that lines it. Now we're talking about the blood also known as diniguan which is literal pork blood soup. Now we're taught, and then, and then we start talking about the intestines, the small intestines, which is called isao. So, so and then the pig cheeks, and then the pig jowl, and the actual tongue and the jowl and underneath here for sisig. And then, so th- these are things that, that we use the entire thing because we're not, we're not refrigerating it. So you gotta find a way to use every piece of this animal because you can't afford refrigeration. So once you kill a pig, you gotta use it and cook and do everything with it, otherwise, you're not going to eat for who knows how long. So that that's that development and trying to let's like minimize the 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 intense flavors that come with using some of those parts of an animal are where Filipino food has really evolved over the past. We'll call it half millennia. And and, and I think that you know uh, chefs are challenged to try to cre- recreate these flavors that all of our grandparents, great grandparents, even parents have been eating their entire life but we want to make it more, the, the word is more palatable because it, you know, when you're eating the, the intestines, right. Yeah. Th- there's literal shit in there. Right. <laughs> so, so it's like, <laughs> like literal. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta clean it properly. There's a way to clean it. And when you're cleaning it, do you want to clean it with water or do you want to clean it with wine or maybe you want to clean right. it with vinegar or do you want to clean it with beer? Because all of these things are going to influence the flavor a little bit more. So that's where Filipino food is still developing. And there's a lot of room for interpretation to, to get this cuisine to a point where it, it can serve a, a mass market without losing the spirit of where it, of where it came from in the homeland. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. Cause I feel like nose to tail cookery has just like become like the word of the day. And like, you know, in the past decade or so, every restaurant's like, we do nose to tail. It's like, yeah, We've been doing nose to tail forever. <laughs> but we no, no. had to. Like some people are like, we do nose to tail, but it's like, no, you literally use the nose. You might use the rear end. You might use the feet, but are you right. using everything in between? Are you really using everything in between? Yeah. Are like, you making a soup out of the bile of the pig? <laughs> like, 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 act, like, you're just like, you have to ask these questions. And like, so, you know, it, it sounds great, but certain countries have to do it, not because it's a, on trend, but because the people of the country couldn't survive without it. Right, right, right. But it's, it is so funny that those flavors are like, or like cartilage, like, like chicken cartilage is like, you know, my mom would always eat the whole chicken and the cartilage. I'm like, that's disgusting. And then like, you get older and you're like, oh, you, I like, I like, you go to like yakitori place and they just have skewers of the cartilage. Yeah. And it's like, it's amazing. It's, uh, it's amazing. But it's funny. I, I do feel like the more deep dive you take on food and the more you try all the foods, that, you know, in the world and this and that, you kind of gravitate towards those weird flavors. Like I love organs and like weird cuts of meat and stuff like that. Like, you know, a, a chicken breast or like a filet, I love them. I can get down with them. But, you know, for me, I, I feel like all I look for now is these weird, weird flavors. And it seems like Filipino food has a lot of that. There, there's two types of of eaters, people who are dining for like the fun experience or people who are dining to find new flavors. And 
And you know, n- neither one is better than the other, but it's just a, the type of diner that you are. Uh, I think you and I are on that on the other on in the latter. We want to find new flavors. Like you, I, how cool would it be if you and I were going on a trip and we taste something and both of us are like, I've never had this before. And like, it just, it, it, it's like, cause that's why we love to travel. We love to travel to experience something, but we also want to eat so that we can experience new things. And so I, I totally agree with you. I think that, you know, people who really love food and are obsessed with it as we are. And I think that's why we got along because before anything else, we have this, this innate love of food, just in general, eating it, yeah. seeing it, talking about it, consuming it, viewing it, judging it. We love that. Right. And, yeah. and, and so like that's the type of people we are. So like Filipino cuisine or just in cuisine in general, like we want to go and be adventurous to what type of flavors there are out out there because you and I both know there's no way in hell we've had even what 20% of anything out there. Like, and we bought, we've eaten everywhere, but I bet you there's things that we've never even tried. Is there anything on your list that you're like, I need to go seek that out or like a restaurant or a chef in the world that you're like, I need to go have that. Oh, that's yeah. That's a lot. That's a very large long list. (laughs) I mean, like I, I mean, everything from get this. I've never been to Sicily, mm. uh, I, 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 or Sardinia. I want to try try those two. I've never been to Greece. I want to try what true Greece Greece food looks like. Then I want to go to yeah. South America. I want to try what does a Brazilian steakhouse really taste like in Brazil? And then, dude, Fogo de Chao. Just go to Fogo de Chao. Same thing, bro. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I, I want to try these these things that that I've never been able to. So it's just like once the pandemic. Now that it's like slowly, you know, kind of getting over the hump. I want to, I want to start traveling and, and eating again, because that's the only way as a chef I'll be able to grow and learn. Yeah. So Sicily, it's funny. Cause I was thinking about Sicily when I was thinking about the Philippines, cause it's kind of similar in that it has been like, everyone's conquered it and take it over and just like left their food culture there. And yeah. it's so funny when you're like, Oh my God, this Sicilian food has has like saffron in it and it's like yeah there was a fucking war (laughs) and lots of people died and there was like raping and pillaging and then someone like dropped a bag of saffron (laughs) someone there's like this looks like crazy stuff what can they do yeah yeah Yeah. they they killed my whole family but they left this bag of saffron (laughs) let's try to incorporate this in a dish Uh, is there an ingredient that like if, if again if no one's ever cooked filipino food is there an ingredient that we should all go and get and cook with like because i feel like do you guys have your version of a fish sauce it, so no, yeah i mean we do and it's the same thai fish sauce or viet fish sauce that you would use and we call it patis p-i-t-i-s um, okay but i would say you know there's in terms of ingredients there's a couple of things that are genuinely filipino but aren't uh exclusive to the philippines only if that makes sense so something, uh, a natto seed, that is, that's something that's, that's heavily used in the Philippines. A-N-N-A-T-T-O, a natto Interesting. seed. Yeah. I thought you were saying like natto. No, a natto no. seed. And uh, it, it's what the, is that? it's like, it's kind of like a saffron seed. It's not, it has no relation to saffron, but mm-hmm. what you do with saffron, like it's, it's a seed version of that. Um, so like you steep it and you steep it to get the color out. Yeah. Yeah. So you could steep it. You, you could steep it. It, it gives you this orange yellowy hue. Um, hmm. There's, there's also um, like you, then but you can grind it up and use it as a, as a rub, as a seasoning for fish, for, for pork, for, for whatnot. And it, and it, and, or you can put it, it like the whole seeds into a braise and it just kind of leaks that flavor out. And with that light kind of orangey red color. And it's, um, it's very distinct and delicious. And I don't see a lot of cultures use it. I do know Indian cultures and Indonesian cultures use it, um, uh, mm-hmm. every now and then, but it's very, it, it's pretty prevalent. I think, I think that's one that's relatively unknown in the culinary world about Filipino cuisine. Uh, and then a meat is actually a uh, fish. It's called uh, milkfish, and and yeah, and that that's that's, that's meat. That, I'm I'm grossed out by that name. And no, it's milk just the name. Fish? It's just the name of the fish. Like it's just it I looks know. like any normal fish. And we need to change that name. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it in typically you use that for something called bangus. B a n g u s. Bang okay. us. Uh, okay. and, and so it's, and, and that is like such a delicious crispy fried fish dish that is like, that has, um, it, it's, it's like accented with vinegar and it, it just, oh, yeah. it's so simple. It's fried touch with vinegar, serrano chili, salt and pepper. And you just kind of pick it right off the bone. And, and that that's distinct. I I've never seen milkfish used any anywhere other than Filipino. So those are the two like kind of 
random ingredients that are pretty Filipino. Is there something that like we can get and that can easily get in like an Asian market that uh, is like yeah. a, like a go-to condiment type thing? Yeah, yeah. So there's two. Th- so there's two or three things. First one is th- something called silver swan soy. So it's a soy sauce. Okay. Uh, and it's 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 a dark soy uh, made out of fermented soybeans, but it has a, like a hint of sweetness to it. And I would definitely say that is that's that's very very Filipino. Next up, a sugar cane vinegar called Datu Puti, D A T U space P U T I, and that is that vinegar is without a doubt like Filipino in every way through. We we use that as a sauce. We use that in a braise for adobo. We use that as an accent in in sauce in in vinaigrettes. Everything like that. That's How interesting! And is it like a sweet vin like a sweet vinegar? It definitely has a. A hint of like it's sweeter than normal vinegar, but mm-hmm. it also has this kind of uh, thicker viscosity to it. It's not viscous, but it definitely has a body. It, it ha- like if you're referring it to wine, it's medium to full bodied. If we're huh. talking like that, and then obviously has that nice hit of acid. And then then the, the last thing is um, Jufron banana ketchup. That's the brand Jufron J U F R A N. Okay, <laughs> Dan's like Ju. Do you catch up? I had a yeah, I had a Jufro. I, I mean, it sounds a little, it sounds a little similar. Okay, so Juf, I, I won't forget it now. Yeah, so Jufro, Jufro. Uh, but banana ketchup, and people think it's made out of bananas, but it's actually made with spicy banana peppers and ketchup. Oh, and, cool! Yeah, and it's spicy ketchup. It's delicious. That sounds awesome. Those three are like your 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 like dry storage, very Filipino things. I will say there's also um, a fourth, which is not Filipino, but. You heard this name in our show. Someone was using the ingredient and you lost your shit. And that is spam. And you lost your shit two times. Once was because you love spam, apparently. And two was because I had never had spam and you lost your shit that I'd never had spam. And we uh, we shared that experience together. But spam, dude, what is it about spam that makes Filipinos lose their fucking minds? Well, here's what it is. You ready? We Filipinos love pork. You see this? That's yes. a pig. That's a pig right there. Okay. Oh, you got a pig, pig tattoo I'm, I'm on a pig that tattoo. bicep. I'm a pig there. Oh. Then we love pig. And By the then, way, Jordan is shirt. You guys should know that Jordan is shirtless right now. Fully and shirtless. we're having this interview and it's very hard for me to focus on food. And, and I was and I was glistening when we first started. Actually, now I've at least cooled down. And then, no. And then on top of on top of us loving pork, once again, no refrigeration. So how do we get pork in a can that's not refrigerated? You eat spam. Got it. And then, and, and that's what it is. It's the ease and the cheap um, value of it. You, you can feed, you can pretty much with one can of spam with rice, feed a family of four. Have you ever tried to make like a hipster, not hipster, but like, I, I guess like a, a like a fancy version of spam. Um, or no, is it is it like ketchup where you can't you can't perfect the? OG? Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not fucking with no with no homemade spam. Like there, there's certain things that are just great as is, and spam right. is one of them. Like it's just great. <laughs> like just just use it. It's okay. Chef it up from there, but just don't don't try to pretend like you can make a better spam. There's a reason why spam is a multi million dollar generating revenue company per week. Per month, right. you know, like right. it's, it's fine. Okay, we can't perfect on spam. Got it. Well, let me, first of all, also, I want to, whenever you're doing, you do these cool pop-ups, which I went to one in LA, which was awesome. It was basically a Filipino barbecue pop-up, which was so fun and so interesting. And like, you know, I think I've had a little bit of barbecue fatigue where I've had all the all the American style barbecue. So it's always really exciting to try a different culture's barbecue, you know? What is the, is there like a main seasoning for Filipino barbecue or is there a main flavor profile? You're definitely going to get a shit ton of garlic. Yeah. You're definitely going to have coconut and you're definitely going to have in barbecue coconut and then, and you know what? And sugar. Like, yeah, like it's just, it definitely has like Filipino food is definitely sweet in, in nature, especially when we're talking about barbecue. It's very fun to have. I, I always feel like it's a little bit cheating to put sugar on barbecue because it's just, you're just caramelizing and it's going to be delicious and it's like meat candy, but it is always, I mean, there's a reason it works so well. Let's talk about that seed Jordan mentioned, which is used prominently in Filipino cuisine, anato. Anato is not indigenous to the Philippines. It's not even indigenous to Asia. This seed from the achiote tree is from Central and South America, Mexico, and the Caribbean. When colonizers came from Europe to America, they longed for a replacement for saffron and found anato seeds could similarly tint their foods. 
And from further colonization, the annatto seed spread to many places, including the Philippines, and was sometimes referred to as the poor man's saffron. Real talk, all the saffron is burning a hole in my wallet. What a fun fact, just in time for stimulus checks to run out. All right, back to Jordan. I do have an interesting question before we get to the question questions, Jordan. Yeah. You are a, you're a, you're, you're a very dreamy guy. You're very handsome. I actually, we, we had a running joke of uh, whenever I introduced you, I made fun of your looks. Loved it. Here's the thing. And I'm not going to lie. When I met you, I was like, oh, he's just a pretty boy chef. This guy's not a real chef. And then I realized, oh, no, this guy's a real fucking chef. Do you feel like uh, it's a, to your detriment? Do you think it helped? Do you wish you looked more like like a Dana dude, like of the people? <laughs> Do you feel like it's a surprise to people when you're actually talented as a chef? You know what I mean? Yeah, no, no. I, that's actually a good question. It's I like think... when really good looking comedians come on stage, I'm like, this guy's not going to be funny. Yeah, no. I, and, you know, I, I actually, I think it, it actually is not to my detriment. I actually think it it sets the bar low. Right. And thus allows me to exceed expectations right yeah so it's like and what you said like most people especially when we're doing entertainment they're just like oh like he's literally only here because he he looks good and can talk in front of a camera and i kind of like that because then then the element of surprise and the element to to quickly earn someone's someone's respect is easier because the bar is that much lower so i so i really i don't mind it and I think the only thing for like that happens to me that I analyze is, you know, I, I, I hope that whenever I'm done a gig that people understand that I am a chef first before anything and everything. And and I think that maybe if I don't, if it doesn't start that way, I I think most jobs and everything that I do, it does end that way because they go, Oh, okay. As you've said, he definitely is not here because of that. Like he may, might be, but he's definitely here because he knows about food. I just got to say, if yeah, if I had your looks, I'd be the laziest fucking guy in the world. <laughs> it would be awesome. Life would be great. But no, I have to claw my way to the top with this deviated septum. Okay, let us get to the question, starting with your earliest food memory. Earliest food memory. I, you know what's crazy? I, the first time I ever, like, I remember eating... And it's with rice with our with with your hands because Filipinos eat with your hands. Uh, it was rice and a piece of meat, and it no joke was spam. And it was really for, and it was for breakfast, and it was ra- steamed jasmine rice with fried spam in a broiler, and then served with a little bit of soy sauce, and uh, and that's it. And 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 I was young, and I was like I would sit in my my lola's or grandmother's lap, and she would literally make it with her hands and then feed it to me like this. Like a baby bird. Like a baby bird, yeah. I love that. What is your death row meal? So let's say you get to the restaurant one day, you see there's some gunk in the fans, you fucking ream into the person who was in charge, you smash his head against the fan, he dies. Now you're on death row. What is your death row meal? Death row meal is, funny enough, it's actually going to be Chinese food. Uh, Specifically... Uh, Cantonese, okay. a hybrid Cantonese Sichuan, and it is a salt and pepper fried pork chop, thinly sliced, dredged in cornstarch, salt pepper with a little bit of Sichuan chilies, deep fried, served with scallions, a little bit of cabbage on the bed. Then there's going to be a uh, rice. You have to have rice, and it's a salt cod and chicken fried rice. Ooh. So salt salted cod. Um, just um, chicken, chicken breast uh, boiled in salt and chicken stock, and then chopped up and diced with peas, egg, and um, and then rice, and then just kind of sautéed with uh, onion and garlic and ginger. And then there's going to be a Cantonese uh, crispy pan-fried noodle with a seafood slurry on top, and inside the seafood slurry has scallop, has shrimp, has calamari, and then and then you make you toss that with a slurry with a little bit of fish stock, and then you you fry up this. Um, this thin rice, yellow rice noodle, uh, sorry, egg noodle, and then it becomes super crispy. Then you rehydrate it with the, uh, with the slurry. And then it, so you get like some soft parts, some crispy and the texture that you get there, all of it served with a Szechuan chili crisp on the hot sauce on the side, along with a ginger scallion MSG sauce. Oh my God. I thought about this. I thought about yeah, this. Yeah. You make me want to commit a murder in China now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's exactly what I want to eat before I die. That is ridiculous. Yeah. Wait, there's salt cod in Chinese dishes? Yeah. Salt cod made it to China. Huh? That fucking dish got everywhere. 
That's everywhere. That, it's like the whore of... Well, uh, <laughs> but, th- but think about it in terms of transportation. You have a big vat of salt, just throw fillets of cod in it. It'll go yeah. anywhere and last forever for anything. So it actually, oh, yeah. it kind of does make sense in terms of travel. In fact, there is a theory that the Portuguese reached America way before Columbus did because they were actually going to get, they found cod and they were, they were, they didn't want to tell anyone where they found the cod. So, but they'd be in America getting cod and bringing it back. Really? To salt. Yeah. Salted cod. Yeah. Whoa. Buckle. Wow. Yeah. Right. What is the best high end meal that you've ever had? Do I have it in here? Hold on. Oh, where, it's upstairs. Shit. Uh, so typically you want to take a break? No, well, I mean, I I thought I don't know where it is, so I don't want to I don't want to wait, waste too much time. But I, it's oh, a, I thought you were looking for. I thought someone came into the room and was asking for something. No, no, I'm so I have a framed. Uh, it's big. It's like a thirty inch framed menu of my favorite fine dining meal of my life. It was on my twenty first birthday. I was working at the French Laundry at the time. It was the best restaurant in the world, and I was working there. And I turned twenty one while I was working there, and they gave me a twenty one course meal. Signed by every chef, including Corey Lee, Tim Hollingsworth, and Thomas Keller. And I got 21 courses for my 21st birthday. Oh, my God. It took me five and a half hours to eat. They opened 11 different bottles of wine for me. And it was free. Oh, my God. And I, and I have the menu framed. It, I just, it normally is in my room. Like, this is like my, as you can see in my room. But, yeah. That is an epic, epic. That's insane. Yeah, I documented every course. It was it was life-changing. So you were there when they were the number one restaurant in the world, and then you left, and they fucking tanked. <laughs> yeah, fuck, I wish that was, that was the reason. <laughs> <laughs> what is the best low-end meal that you've ever had? This could be a street dog. It could yeah, be, you know. It's, I'm going to say, without, without a doubt, there's this Al Pastor corner street taco in the... Puebla of Tulum. Whoa. One normal four and a half inch corn tortilla with all the works and shaved um, pork al pastor cost, I think it was 13 cents. And it was without a doubt per like, if you go by dollar better than the French laundry, it was, it's the best, some of the best food I've ever had in my life. And the fact that it was 13 cents might make it the best thing ever. Amazing. Yeah, dude, there's something about Al Pastor on the street that is magical. And like, you know, there's just, they, it takes four people to lock it up into the, the system, the rotator. Yeah. And yeah, and they, they start cooking it at 9 a.m. It's ready by 12 and it's done by like 2.30. Oh, so this is an afternoon thing. It's like 400 pounds. Wow. It goes like this. Like, it's crazy how quickly that, that, that thing goes. It takes four people so, to rig it up. Yeah. You see, I figured that you were drunk while you were having them in the streets of Tulum. But that's an afternoon thing. Uh, do you have a favorite drunk food? I know that you like to drink. We we like the sauce together. Something we have in common. The we sauce enjoy the baby. sauce. Give me all the sauce. Yeah. Oh. All right. That's a tough one. But if I have to give it one, it's going to go to the one and only the Golden Arches. Really? Yeah, baby. Give it, give it all to me. I get. Wow. The, and the drunker I am, the more I spend. My I've spent and eaten by myself $32 worth of McDonald's. Imagine how much food that is. That is all the food that a McDonald's has for the day. I used to have the receipt because no one believed me. So I took a picture of it and I was like, I ate this after a night out. I, I remember the, I remember the order. You want me to tell you? I remember what it was. Please. Yes. So just me, just me. All in one sitting after a night out, I ate the following. Um, a Big Mac meal, medium fries, medium drink, uh, a triple cheeseburger, a double quarter pounder, filet of fish, 20-piece nugget, McFlurry, and I think that's it. You're a disgusting human being. I'm disgusting. I'm, I'm filthy, and I love it. Did you throw up, or are you just like... No. No, just, just like just I, I wasn't hung over. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. But, but I also, I don't get hung over, which is one of my, that's one, that, that's like my superhero um, power. Oh, well then I guess that ruins the next question, which is what is your favorite hangover food? Yeah. So I don't, yeah, I, I really don't get get hung over. I've been hung over, I think four or five times in my whole life. Um, really? I yeah. feel like I've, I've been not hung over four or five times. In my life. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I would say if like, just like after drinking, I love a good like um, eggs Benedict. Yeah, like yeah, it's, give, give me all the hollandaise, the potatoes, the egg, the yolk, and then yeah. smoked salmon. It's funny. I remember you dinging someone on our show who was making hollandaise sauce in a blender, 
And you were like, hollandaise in a blender? And he was like, I know, I know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I was like, what the fuck's wrong with hollandaise in a blender? What is wrong with hollandaise, hollandaise in a blender? First of all, what's hollandaise? Let's start there. Okay, hollandaise is one of the five mother sauces. It's made from clarified butter. What the fuck did you call me? <laughs> it's, a made from, um, it's made from um, emulsifying egg yolks and clarified butter with a little bit of lemon juice, Worcestershire, salt, and, uh, and Dijon mustard. And okay. it's an emulsified sauce, typically meant of, as a as a garnish for like egg dishes or, or breakfast dishes. High in fat, it's delicious and really has like a good mouthfeel to whatever you're putting it in or on. So why is it bad to make it? It's just like it, you're selling out to make it in a blender. There's there's certain things in cooking that you do classically, just because typically the, the classic element of that like it adds to the flavor. And one of that is, is making hollandaise. So, you, mm. so typically it should be on a double boiler. It should be, it should have a whisk and a metal bowl and you should be able to, to temper it and then whisk it and then take it off and then come back to it. And then you, like you, you, you can control the emulsification process and the amount of heat that's used to tempering the egg yolks. But in a blender, you just throw the egg yolks in, you slowly add your, you slowly add your uh, clarified butter and it, and it emulsifies by itself. You can get the same thing. It's just, you know, it's, it, it's frowned upon amongst more classically trained chefs. So it's like getting a dream body by going to the gym and working hard on it versus uh, just doing steroids or getting calf implants, let's call it. <laughs> kind of. That's kind of that, that's a good I'll take that as a, <laughs> as an, an analogy there. <laughs> I'm excited to hear your answer for this because you are a celebrity chef, but do you have a favorite celebrity chef or celebrity food personality besides present company excluded? So the, you know, you know, the slogan, never meet your, your idol or your heroes. Yes. So like, I think that kind of happened to me where I ended up meeting some of them and the interactions were, the interactions were, le were less than ideal. Wait, name names. I want to hear about the bad interactions. No, 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 no way in hell. I'm naming names, but. If oh, wait, I think you told me one. Yes, yes, yes. I remember. Okay. So favorite celebrity chef. Now as chefs, we have two types of celebrity chefs. There's the traditional celebrity chef who is famous for being a chef in entertainment or celebrity chef because they're a celebrity because of how good they are as a chef in their restaurant. So you have to clarify the two. Which one do you want? Okay, give, give me both. You want both? Okay, so yeah. on TV, I would have to say my favorite celebrity chef is Emeril Lagasse. Interesting, tell me why. He started it. He's one of the first chefs I've ever seen on TV that captivated me. I love the way he handles the audience. I love his showmanship, but not just that. He is verified a legitimate chef that creates delicious food and is a good, kind, fun person. You know, it's funny. I'm with you. I actually, I had like a very love-hate relationship with him because I thought he was just a showman. And then I went to one of his restaurants in New Orleans. I think it's called Nola or I don't Lola. know what it was. Yeah, yeah. Lola. Dude, it blew my mind. And I was like, by the way, sort of in the same vein of taking like you know, poor people food and elevating it, right? Yeah, no, I mean, and that's exactly what he did. Yeah, oh my God. It was, I still remember the dirty rice dish that I had at that restaurant and it was like more than 15 years ago. Yeah, but, so, um, yeah, and, and, yeah, and I just, one. I got mad respect for him and yeah, he's just, uh, like he did it. And I, I, and I didn't realize that was my favorite until I worked with him and I was like, and I immediately got like pitter patter. I was like, oh my God. I was like, this is fucking Emerald. I, I couldn't even think. So Emerald, and Amazing. then- and then if we're talking about chef, like, well, like celebrity chefs, because they are so dope as a chef, uh, it would, ha it would have to be tied between Thomas Keller and Jean George. Yeah. Fortunately, I worked for both of them. Oh, cool. Yeah. I, I think I, I love Jean George because he, his like versions of non-French food, like, you know, I've been to, I think spice market and Vong. Yep. Like, were so cool and so awesome. Um, he was, he's very, very good at culturally appropriating and I'm here for it. <laughs> he really is. But no, like, see, the, the, okay, that's like a whole other podcast. Happy to come back and talk about that. But like when, when that's a slippery slope when we talk about cultural appropriation, because if you're a true chef, your goal is to represent food in a pure way. So so what this man has done is he's married, fact, married a, a, a Thai woman, and that has thus influenced his entire life, his cuisine, his 
his, his, his menus, his flavor profile. So he, that, that, like, I personally don't think he is, but if you want to apply cultural appropriation and the way people are defining it to what, what it is, then he technically is, but I just, I, I personally disagree. I mean, I said it as a joke, but I'm glad you got into it because I, I actually do feel super strongly about this. I think that cultural appropriation as it's defined now absolutely has a place in the food world. And I think that's something, I don't think that anyone should be limited by flavors that they want to use because of the color of their skin or because of how they were born. Like, it's ridiculous to me. Like that, every single culture has shared from other cultures. Look at Filipino culture. Like you said, it has like four different cultures intertwined in it. You know, a lot of classic dishes that we assume are what they are. Look, al pastor came from Syria. Uh, churros came from China. China. Like, yeah. I, I mean, there's, if you want to keep going down, everyone has been appropriating everyone for thousands and thousands of years. And I exactly. think, again, it's like one of the beautiful things about food is that, like we were, we were joking about before, wars bring these things, but even through war, even the pain of war and hating a people more than ever, anything, you're going to have similar flavors because flavors always win. And so, I don't know, I personally, like, especially, like, I'm jealous of Filipinos because they have you, because Persians don't have that. We don't have the young chef who's taking Persian flavors and doing new things with them. And if it's a white guy doing it, I'm here for it. I don't care. If you figured out a way to crack that code, awesome. Go for it. That's how, I mean, that's how I feel. I'm probably going to get a lot of shit for it, but whatever. I am, uh, I'm okay with it. I I think the, where you... Where I draw that line is how you present your take on it. it, it, And it really is just being carefully choosing words. Like in the media in the past year, there have been two Caucasian females who have been trying to take, try to do their take on Asian food. All for it. Do it, please. One was kanji and one was takeout. And the, but the, the reason why they were canceled immediately was because they, they, were saying that the way it was served was dirty, gross, unhealthy, and unclean. And now because they're making it, it's clean, healthy, and good for you. So like, yeah. that's, yeah, that's where they we're dirt, Listen, we're dirty immigrants, bro. We need these white people to clean us up, bro. You know, so, it's funny. Actually, you know, you bring up one of my pet peeves. I hate when people say clean flavors. I oh fucking, it drives me crazy. I, I just, I got into a fight with this, with this girl once because she kept saying she loves clean flavors and like she just hate like she, I can't eat Indian food. I just I just I just like love clean flavor. Like it's this thing. It's to me, that's like more veiled racism than <laughs> cultural appropriation because it's like, yeah, like, OK, so anything that's like Middle Eastern food is not a clean is not like clean. clean flavors are always kind of new American and like California cuisine. And then like anything that's like immigrant cuisine is not clean flavors, according to them. And I, I just I don't know. There's something that really fucking gets under my skin when people say clean flavors. I agree. With that. I agree with that. I agree. Yeah. It's true. I mean, yeah. Anyway, because then the because op- the opposite of that is dirty. So you're, you're just assuming that I don't think you should refer to anyone's cuisine as dirty. <laughs> I, I, I agree. But I also but I mean, my my only counterpoint to that is there are certain things that you consume that the the best descriptor for it is clean. And I'll get I'll give you two examples Right, like right off the jump, when you have lemon cucumber ice water on a hot day, mm-hmm. you're like, "Ooh, that is a clean, just like refreshing, like powerful, like uplifting note." And like, and that's yeah. because cucumber is fresh and bright like that, and then the lemon has that nice acidity, and then the ice and the water, it's clean. I would I would describe that as a clean as a clean flavor. Okay, but, but okay. Or, so like. Or maybe I only have one, but like I think you can use it, but it's not. But when you're describing cuisines, when you I agree when you're, when you're describing, I, describing I will cuisines. make I will make an exception for cucumber lemon water. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what is your desert island food? You're trapped on a desert island. There's one food you have to eat for the rest of your life. You are not going to get tired of it. I think I know what it is. What is it? It's uh, it's going to be my grandmother's uh, like Filipino food. Oh, okay. Is there a specific dish? You get one dish. Yeah, I think I can eat my grandmother's adobo for the rest of my life until I die. Chicken adobo. Nice. And yeah. rice till I die. I made it last night. It's her recipe and it's ridiculous. It's like, it, yeah. I can't believe how good it tastes. It's a very delicious dish. I mean, it's funny because these gateway dishes that we have 
for like that white people or like that people that aren't our, our culture try and they're like whoa this is awesome like there's a reason that like pad thai is awesome or like we have a dish called horma sabzi which is like a stew an herb stew that like everyone has it they're like this is awesome like and chicken adobo is definitely that dish where it's like it's like got all the flavors that are impossible to hate like it just like goes into your brain and just stimulates all those neurons of joy I agree. Uh, agree. So it, has, it has your umami. It has your salt. It has your tang. It has your sweet. It has a hint of spice. It has the aromatics to it. It has a viscous sauce that's not too watery, but it but it but it like kind of coats the spoon and it soaks up the rice. So you just want to kind of scrape everything up. Yes, I wholeheartedly. Agree. Yes, that is a good one. Is there a food that you cannot stand eating? Is there something that you hate? I fucking hate anything to do with frosting or birthday cake. Fuck that shit. <laughs> what straight up straight up really yeah dead ass serious like like if i have like a like a like a like a white cupcake with like buttercream frosting or or cream cheese frosting with with birthday sprinkles get that the fuck out of here like i hate it it's (laughs) this i honestly it's disgusting to me oh my god you hate joy you hate joy people line up for that they line up at magnolia for it hate hate that wow you are you are fucking evil you're that's the, the one though person. that's the i eat everything i'll eat yeah fermented but duck dude, egg people will usually say something that's like you know yeah something that's probably like traditionally non-palatable not birthday fucking cupcakes Bur- birthday well just cupcakes and cake too like i don't i hate it <laughs> like it's like that what buttercream your, cream it? cheese frosting that's what like ugh. ugh really yeah it tastes like it tastes like like creamy metal <laughs> Okay, time for the last question. And this is my favorite question. And I'm very excited to hear your answer because I feel like you are as fucking neurotic as I am. What is or are your restaurant pet peeves? Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, Stretch, stretch, get ready. Okay, number one, restaurant pet, number one restaurant pet peeve. It doesn't have to be impeccable service, but just, just attentive, like just be attentive. So an example is when you get there, just mark the table, marking a table is throwing a menu down, saying hi, your server server will be right with you, pouring water. Hi, I'm really busy. I'll get right to you. It doesn't need to like, I can wait 30 minutes. If you come back every five minutes being like, I'm so sorry, I'll be right with you. I'm so sorry, I'll be right with you. Okay. So just your service just has to be attentive. Number one. Um, but also I have, I have pet peeves on the back and the front. Like if I'm in the kitchen, if you modify uh, my menu, I take it as a personal offense to my soul being and family. And I wish nothing but the worst for you as a person. Wait, you're saying if the, you're saying if the, if the diner wants to modify your dish. Yeah. Interesting. If you want to mod like that, that's actually my number one pet peeve in my life. If you wow. want to modify my menu, there's so many things I want to say, but, but just, just, I hate you. I, I hate you as a person. <laughs> what about sauce on the side? I hate you. I hate you. <laughs> like, okay, here's the thing, right? I don't go into your job when I need your service and tell you what the fuck to do. So don't come into my fucking place and tell me what the fuck to do. Fuck off. Don't eat here. Your money's not fucking green. I don't want you here. I don't need you here. I really hate it. Like it, like it really creates this fire in me that, and I take it offense. Like I, it, it offends me. I don't, it's like, Hey, excuse me, your Excel sheet isn't fucking right. Here's how you do it. No, I don't fucking say that. I say, yeah, like make this model for me and thank you. Where do I sign? Wow. Interesting. So don't modify my menu. And I actually, I'm this close. I kind of want to get a restaurant and name it. No modifications. Like, like literally like, like actually. So, so yeah. So what I'm assuming is, you're never going to open up a restaurant in Los Angeles because <laughs> everyone here substitutes, substitutes everything. Oh my God. Oh my God. Like it's just, it, it's, if you modify my menu, I really do feel like you're, you're coming here to try to fuck with my day. So don't, please don't, don't eat at my restaurant. So, but as a diner now, now my other thing as a diner is bathrooms. Okay. Like dude, j- just clean your bathrooms. Like it's such an easy way to impress a guest by just having a, your, your soap full, your toilet paper, just nice, ready there and full your toilet yeah. clean and just, and, and not a hot bathroom. A lot of people don't realize heat makes smells stay in the air. Just have a cold bathroom 
and you're good to go. And like, so bathrooms for me. Yes. That's and a then, good one. And, and then my, my last thing in, in terms of like, well, I mean, I have a lot, but my last thing that, that I look for in, in all restaurants is, is like the, the cleanliness on, on cutlery and glassware. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to have a martini glass and see like, like lip balm because you didn't clean the rim. Oh my God. I, don't, I would I don't, flip the fucking table. Yeah. I don't want to see like a cooked on like chive on a knife because you didn't bother rinsing it before you threw it into the dishwasher. That's a heat steamed one that actually ended up cooking the, the, the chive onto it. Like, like that kind of like, or the fork that has stuff still on it. And you, and like you're, it's landing in front of me. It's like, listen guys, like this, it's a very simple thing to, to get through. Well, I love that because that would make me, again, it's, most restaurateurs are not like that or chefs aren't like that. A lot of cutting corners. So like when you hear that someone has that attention to detail, you feel so much more comfortable eating at the restaurants because you know that everyone has kind of got their shit together. And, you know, you're it, it's very vulnerable to put yourselves at you know the mercy of someone else cooking for you. So I love hearing that. I will ask you this because one of my big pet peeves and I'm curious from a chef's point of view what you think. Yeah. One of my big pet peeves is when the server, I tell the server, oh, well, I'm, I'm trying to debate between the, you know, the short ribs or the filet. And I ask them what they think. And then they'll just say, yeah, get the short ribs. I hate that. It's like, I want you to give me the pluses and minuses of both and then have me decide. Because I think it's so disrespectful to the chef. Because the chef wrote this menu and thinks that everything on here is great or they wouldn't have put it on the menu. And now you're the one, you, Todd, who's in acting class, is suddenly se- selecting this chef's, you know, what What are the greatest hits of this chef's work? I don't think it's up to you to do that. I think, okay, so in that regard, I agree to a point. And, and the way, the reason why I agree to a point is if, if Todd in your example said, get the short rib, but and then said, get the short rib because this is braised for like, it's like, they don't have to say the plus or minus is on the other side. Just like give a reason for that. I've been there where they're like, what can I get? Oh, get that. I'm like, well, okay, well, why do I get that? Right. Like, so right. You, need, you need that next step. So that's what I, that's where, where I I'm with you. I don't need the, I don't need a full plus or minus on both sides, but I definitely agree with you because chefs, when we design menus, we design them for reasons. We design them for obviously money-making, but we, we design them for balance. We design them for, so that one group of six or four can eat anything and everything and encompass most of your dietary restrictions, needs, or wants. So like there's, there's a reason that's there, right? right. So if, you, if you're deciding between two things as a server, the server, and it really does start though, I will say with the chef. So if the server does that, it's because the chef is, is neglecting who's representing their food. Exactly, and, and so then it actually speaks more about the chef because when I'm when I'm in the kitchen at my fine dining restaurants, I speak to the servers every single day before shift and during and after shift. How was mm. it? Let me see that plate. What did table twenty three like? Why why did they not eat that whole thing? Are you grabbing that to go? I see everything, everything, yeah. and so it, it, it's true. And I like that you see that the, the front of house is representation of the back because that is what it is. And so you better represent the chef who's taken the time to create this flavor profiles. But if they're not doing it, it also means that the chef doesn't care either. And they're, they're just there for a paycheck or they're just there because of whatever. Right. Right. Jordan, I could go on for days. Uh, it's always so much fun to hang with you. So much fun to talk with you. Tell the people where they can find you. Wow. Uh, all right. Well, you can find me on, so if you want to see me soon, I think I'm on Chopped, judging it on August 3rd. Uh, on the awesome. food, on the Food Network, and then I'll be on the Food Network again with my man Dan. Woo! On September raid the fridge. W- wait, September first, raid the fridge. What time? Ten p.m. Ten. I thought it was nine. Ten. Right ten, after. Ten, right after. After guys' grocery games. Nice. And then also, if you're ever in the East Coast, uh, come to New York and try my restaurant, Flip Siggy. I'll have one. I have one in. Uh, uh, Journal Square, uh, Jersey City, and then another one in the West Village here in Manhattan. And it's like a Filipino taqueria. And then I'm doing pop-ups all over the country. So, you know, just kind of follow me on fork underscore knife and uh, on all three of the social media, all major social media networks. And uh, yeah. At, at, at fork underscore knife. At fork underscore knife. That's, you know how the kids talk. Yeah, yeah, my bad. On fork underscore, but it's it's my dad giving his Instagram (laughs) handle away. Jordan, you're one of my favorite people and one of my favorite chefs. And uh, I'm 
Very excited for us to do this again after you get your Michelin star. So dude, let's can't wait, go. Man. Thank you so much for having me, dude. I really appreciate it. I'm so happy that I can call you a friend. Thank you, brother. This episode of Green Eggs and Dan was produced by Andrew Steven and edited by Jordan Aaron. Executive produced by Jeff Umbro and The Podglomerate. You can find more of their podcasts at thepodglomerate.com. The theme music is Beautiful Food by Idan, and the interstitial music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like this show, please tell a friend, share an episode, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's really important to us, guys. Please do it. If you want more Green Eggs and Dan action, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at StandUpDan. Also, we have a YouTube page where you can actually see me and my guests going through their fridge in addition to other videos. Just type in Green Eggs and Dan in YouTube. Like and subscribe, please. We need a lot of subscribers on that page. You will really enjoy it. It's a very fun element of the show. Pod Glomer, a sonic universe.